0: Hey there, this is Liz Lash and you're listening to Entering the Bar, a podcast on life in the law. Us lawyers may have passed the bar, but at the end of the day, we often find ourselves entering the bar. Not only to relax, but to fetch about clients, cases, and the like. What's it like to live life as a lawyer? That's what we're here to talk about. And since we're lawyers, here's your first disclaimer. We're not here to give you legal advice. And you're listening to Entering the Bar with Liz Lash. And today's guest, we have Rob McAdam, who is the Director of Legal Solutions for HiQ. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Liz. Great to have you on. So Rob is a legal tech innovator, (laughs) is my understanding. (laughs) So Rob, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about what you do?
1: Okay, yeah. So I, as as you said, director of legal solutions at IQ So HighQ is a um, collaboration uh, platform, predominantly supplying into the legal profession and legal industry, so law firms and in-house counsel, but also other also other companies and other industries as well. And I lead uh, legal solutions and legal solutions strategy. So I'm responsible for taking our platform and helping our clients. creative with it and put together uh, creative solutions to help help transform the way they work, the way they collaborate and the way they deliver legal services. Um, So it's a very interesting role, very um, varied role and and, and a great role for getting kind of contact with, with law firms and helping them change the way they are delivering legal services.
0: Absolutely, and Rob, you used to be a practicing lawyer before this, right? You're—I uh, guess you can never really retire from law, but <laughs>
1: no. yeah, I, I always say I'm a, I'm a recovering, recovering. Ah, yes, recovering—that's
0: what I was looking for.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I used to be. Um, so, I used to be an M and A lawyer. Um, so, I think I—I I was studying from for, for my legal kind of exams for, from about two thousand and three through to about two thousand and seven, and then. I joined a, I joined a firm in, in the U.K. because obviously I, I'm based in the U.K., but I, I, as you can probably tell from the accent. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> we love yeah, those I accents. Joined, <laughs> yeah. I, joined, um, I joined a firm called Cobbett uh, and trained there uh, and then moved on to uh, uh, another firm called Eversheds or Eversheds Sutherland, I think. It, it's merged with a, a U.S. firm. So Eversheds mm-hmm. Sutherland, Adelshaw Goddard. And then um, before joining High I was with a, a law firm called Pinkston Masons as well. So, yeah, I was an and a M&A lawyer burning the candle at both ends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: putting in some very long hours, delivering uh-huh. uh, cross-border transactions and, pro- and private equity deals.
0: Uh, it sounds impressive, but yes, a lot of late hours, I am sure. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah, big time. I think that was the, I think that was the uh, one of the, one of the turnoffs uh, to it. I think um, I always say when I you know, going into going into law, I, I was kind of imagining it to be you know like suits, you know the TV show suits. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the reality is you kind of—it's a little bit more like Game of Thrones.
0: Right. It's,
1: it's pretty brutal, you know. It is true, it is and yeah, you know, fair play to those who, who stick with it. But I think, from my perspective, um, I didn't—I didn't necessarily find it as, as fulfilling as I as I hoped it would be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of—I uh, moved on and, and started looking looking uh, elsewhere for something a little bit more fulfilling.
0: Yeah, and so we we discussed this before the call, but. I I know that you said actually when you were even at during one of your tenure as an M and A lawyer you started doing uh, legal innovation type projects right?
1: Yeah, so I think I'd always been well I always I would always class myself as quite creative I always like and that was always my kind of challenge you know when I was back at school and college everything I was kind of always torn between you know academic routes even more technical and academic routes and more creative routes. Um so as a you know as a lawyer um i I was always trying to kind of think creatively and, and you know look at processes and how things are being done and saying you know that there must be a better way to achieve this and and, and a more efficient way more cost effective mm-hmm. way to deliver that that process or that you know achieve that output so yeah right. i started you know I started kind of definitely looking at, at projects and, and trying to get involved more on the process side um and it was kind of a around the same time that I started. Teaching myself to, to code, hmm. um, on, with online to code. courses, and there's some <laughs> fantastic online courses out there um, for doing this. Um, so I started teaching teaching myself, not not necessarily with the aim of to help me change legal processes. It was mm-hmm. actually, you know, I was I was looking at it as a as an avenue to explore to, to potentially move out of law
0: yeah.
1: and move into development. But um, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. It's one of the, I think it's one of the most rewarding, the best things I've ever I've ever tackled.
0: And and do you listen to house music while you're coding? I do yes. it's weird. It's a bit of a
1: cake show, isn't it? I, I range a range it depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes yeah. it's yeah, sometimes it's deep house, sometimes it's uh you know, jazz, or it could be uh, you know just disco or something. Oh, like, some I dance like dance. that. Like, yeah, nice. No, uh, disco listening lawyer
0: you. coder. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, yeah, disco lawyer coder. That's uh that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: We'll put that on your advertisements next time <laughs> <Yeah>. you're speaking. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, tell me about, and, you know, while you were learning to code and working on these innovations, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but what's an example of one of the projects that you took on while you were um, at this M&A firm that was sort of innovative? So,
1: um, so, I'll just give you a little bit of background. So, just mm-hmm. before before I went into, so I was an M&A lawyer
0: uh-huh.
1: and, um I was I was uh, obviously working working very hard and and yes. I, I decided at that point you know I I I'd like to move on and try something different. Have a life. And yeah. <laughs> um what what happened essentially is I I got approached by uh, by Pinson Masons the, the the law firm I was at before joining High I got actually got approached by them about an associates role so just to move firms but basically still do M&A law but mm-hmm. just at a different firm. And I think at that at that point I'd been I'd, I'd decided, it, you know, that it's not for me. I I'd want to try something different, and so I passed up on that opportunity and, and kind of moved on. And it was, it was a couple of months later, the same recruiter that approached me about that role kind of came to me again and said, "Okay, I know that you, you know you don't want to be a lawyer, but this the same firm, Pinson Masons, has got another role. Uh, um, it's, it's called legal process development lawyer. It's for the corporate M and A group. Um, would that be interesting?" And and it was weird. It was exactly. Essentially, exactly what I'd been thinking is the type of role that I wanted wow. to get into, you know, in law, and it was all aimed at changing process, um, looking at the way corporate, the corporate M and A team were delivering um, their M and A deals and and other capital markets matters, etc. So, yeah. I, so I, I went for that role, and, and luckily, you know, thankfully got got that. And and some of the projects I was kind of tasked with when I when I joined, mm-hmm. to give a few examples, we were looking at um, contract automation. The contract assembly. So ah. the corporate team had a lot of precedent documents for things like share or stock purchase um, agreements, mm-hmm. asset purchase agreements, uh, private equity deals, investments. There a lot of precedent documents, and they'd, they'd mm-hmm. also had a, they also had a tool called co- uh, Contracts Express, um, which was um, a kind of a Thomson Reuters uh, tool uh, mm-hmm. for automating documents, ah. um, and. I was tasked with kind of taking those documents, using my kind of knowledge of, of those documents and, and, and the law, and actually starting to mark them up, and code them, and, and feed them into the, this kind of automation software, so that lawyers could then easily automate those documents themselves by populating, you know, giving a party name once and it and it flowing through and filtering throughout the whole document, or the user selecting clauses what type of provisions they need in the document and again that just feeding through to the document and it just gets automated at the end of the process and that was for you know one document or suites of documents mm-hmm. so on a, on large share purchase agreements it would be you know you'd feed in all the share numbers and all the different ownerships of shares and it would generate all the kind of stock transfer forms board minutes everything so that was a that's a good example of a kind of an automation contract automation project and then Other projects included were more uh, transactional and process focused. So we were developing a system to to look at how we um, delivered a due diligence report and how a a wide group of um, lawyers who were from different specialisms who all needed to contribute to this DD report, how they would actually collaborate together um, and and kind of collate the content and the risks and the analysis Mm -hmm. and how we could more efficiently generate that again using some element of automation and, and kind of workflow. And that was a really that was a really interesting project, and, and one that kind of you know led to led to some good good efficiency gains for, for the firm.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the law firm that you worked for was very forward thinking in that respect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, they are uh, they are excellent in in this regard, and I'm happy to say it. You know, they've um, they have a team. They call it their smart delivery. Pinsley Masons call it their smart delivery team. That's that's yeah. how they can – of that their terminology for suppose legal process improvement and, and uh, transformative legal service delivery, and they have a very good team, a mixture of developers, lawyers, um, you know, le- legal tech experts, legal knowledge engineers, wow. lots of different kind of roles, all kind of with the aim of look, taking what lawyers do mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of re-engineering it in, in, in to, to deliver that efficiency and, and make it a little bit more optimized for the client and, and for the lawyers themselves.
0: I think that's smart because, you know, in the past a lot of times it was I, – I think uh, lawyers a lot of times are kind of Luddites and they're – you know, it's that whole discipline where everybody's going, no, it has to be individually customized for every client and, you know, otherwise to automate it would take away the, the specialness kind of being a lawyer. But I think it's actually very smart and that's a lot of times what clients want if you can – Optimize it and save them a little bit of money in the in the in the process. They they're I think they're really appreciative. You yeah,
1: know. No, you're right. I think um, you know, you have to you you go through as you know you know you're a lawyer, but no, you, you go good. through so much training, and <laughs> yes. lawyers you know lawyers are very skilled, very talented, very knowledgeable people. But when you boil a lot of it down, there is a lot of process, standardized process that sits behind it, yes. and it's about recognizing that. And say, actually, you know, these are the elements of a, of a matter of a, a litigation, a transaction. These are quite consistent. We could, we can systemat what I would say is, you know, the term systematize hmm. or digitize. We can systematize or automate these aspects of it. And then the lawyers focus on, you know, the higher value advice. Um,
0: yes.
1: and that just makes the process slightly more efficient. So the client is getting, um, efficiency savings. So just by systematizing some of the process, they get those efficiency savings. And then the lawyers are actually freed up to concentrate on the higher value strategic advice that is of most value to the client. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a win-win, It's a win I think, for for everyone if, if you can kind of re-engineer legal processes and, and, and improve them both you know, a win for the client but also a win for the lawyers as well.
0: Absolutely. and And it sounds like you really fell into this at the right time, right? I mean, it sounds like, more and more, this is becoming a trend in in um, across law firms and uh, across the the really across practicing, you know, every lawyer's practice. I would yeah. say. Uh,
1: yeah, I'd agree. I can remember um, just before I was approached about the legal process development lawyer role. I can remember um, well, two things actually. I, I can remember I read a book. Um, this is probably about three or four years ago now. Um, I read a book um called by rich uh, a chap called richard Susskind, who's very well known um in, in, kind of in the uk and in legal innovation circles and he wrote a book called tomorrow's lawyers an introduction to your future and it was all around you know the transformation of of uh the legal industry and and, and changing the way legal services are delivered and the, the and new roles that would be created as a result of that change and i remember reading it and being very inspired by it to to kind of move into this area and so i the second thing I kind of did was then after reading that book, I start to do some research and try and find jobs or roles that, that could have reflected what I just read and, and, and some of those new roles that were being suggested. And I really struggled when I, when I was looking three or four years ago to find those. And that's why it was such a, such a nice surprise when, when that, that role at Pinsley came along. Um, but I'd say since that um, definitely there's been a huge increase in these types of roles. It, it, in the, both in the UK, in the US, in, in kind of mainland Europe as well. So, you know, more and more role, job titles along the lines of, you know, uh, head of legal technology, you know, head of digital, head of um, process transformation, head of innovation, innovation managers, um, innovation delivery, uh, legal engineers, all kind of associated with the same thing, which is, you know, again, just trying to deliver legal services in a more efficient, creative, transformative way. But this, uh, this, there's been a huge increase in these roles and, and, and what's good about my position now at IQ is I get to go out and talk to our clients and I'm meeting these people and it's just so refreshing to to go to meetings and see these these new roles created and a lot of them are former lawyers as well which is fantastic um, but I totally say there has been a, a, an explosion of these types of roles and also things like conferences and communities associated with these types of roles now so um, yeah there's definitely been a change over the last three years and I think it's it's, it's really refreshing and definitely for the for the better for the for the legal industry
0: agreed agreed and I think you also see I think sort of along the same path you see other legal innovations coming along or an openness I guess to new technologies and in some ways they've been forced to. I know I worked in the data security industry for about three and a half years and saw this huge rise in breaches, not only, you know, across industries, but, uh, you know, law firms are are part of that. You know, in many ways, you know, law firms are having to, um, you know, whether they're open to it or they've been forced to, to kind of open their doors to, to more innovation and more um, updated technologies for protecting yeah. their data and for, yeah, for providing improved services.
1: I think I, definitely, and I think there's a few. There, there are a number of drivers to, to that. I think you know, one of them is client demands. I think clients are now looking at the delivery of legal services and the way they engage their law firms, and they're demanding more. Um, some people say, you know, it's, it's a case of more for less. Sometimes <laughs> it's, not, not, it's not necessarily for less; it's just the more piece. They just want more, yeah. more bang for their buck, more value. Um, and That's so there, always there's, there's true. A, a pressure on law <laughs> firms. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's, I mean, there's a pressure on law firms to to h- deliver greater value, and then mm-hmm. I think there's a kind of an internal incentive as well. So, junior lawyers coming in, you know, that are used to using tools in their personal lives, right. um, you know, things like, you know, things like. I don't know, you know, Facebook, WhatsApp, you know, those kind of social <laughs> collaboration tools, um, and or, or the G Suite, Gmail, and you know, the, uh, Google Docs, and tools that are just so simple and intuitive and easy to use, but, but allow you to be very productive. And they're coming into law firms and looking at the tech that currently exists, which is very archaic, and they're just saying, "I need something better." So you've got that kind of dual pressure on law firms, both from within and from from externally, to to revisit, you know. Technology is obviously a piece of that, but also just, you know, revisit process, revisit technology, revisit what they're doing with data um, and revisit the way they're resourcing, you know, internally um, as well. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different pressures on law firms at the moment. But um, I think that's good because it, it is definitely starting to drive real change.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And just to, to go on a different tack, um, to follow up on what you said before about being creative, before we, before we got on this call, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how you visualized something, you know, in a change in your life. And, you know, what would you suggest for people that are, that are out there and maybe, you know, not entirely satisfied, you know, with their life as it is? What, what kind of, you know, based on your own experiences, what would you say to them?
1: I, I think it's a case of, you know, like you say, we were, we were chatting and I, I, I read things on a, on a weekly basis. I talk to lawyers on a weekly basis and, and a lot of the conversations I have are uh, or, or read are with, with lawyers who are deeply unsatisfied with, with their job. They're working long hours. They don't feel well rewarded or well recognized. I, I certainly think promotions and partnership is, is harder to obtain than it, uh, you know, than, it than it was um, more so than ever has been, and and you know okay. it's challenging for lawyers. And and but my my view is that there's so much opportunity out there because of this because of this change that is going on in the legal profession. Um, I think there are there is a there was a massive need for people with domain expertise uh, and and for lawyers to move into other areas to really help drive this change. It's by no means you know that that change doesn't require lawyers alone it, 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 we require a lot of different talents and skill sets and resources and people it's not you know lawyers won't drive this change on their own but there is loads of opportunities for lawyers to get involved and you know whether it's as a legal knowledge engineer like I said taking you know taking their legal expertise and actually codifying it in systems you know that, that can only be done by someone who understands the law um, but we need someone to move out fee earning to actually start to focus on that and deliver that you know that, that process or whether it's people thinking around, you know, joining tech companies in a marketing type role to try and help, you know, that, make the make that technology resonate with a with the legal market again, you need that insight. So there's there's lots of opportunity for lawyers, and I I, I just wish, and it's easy for me to say, but I wish some lawyers would just be a little bit braver in, in exploring, <laughs> and moving outside of their their kind of their comfort zone. And I know that's counterintuitive. Lawyers are risk averse. Oh it's yes, quite tough to persuade oh, them yes. to do something risky, but. I think the rewards that they do, and, and I, I don't think it's as risky as they might think, because I think this is we're, we're really seeing a change now and, and a lot of opportunity. And I wish they would just be a little bit braver in exploring uh, other avenues, because I think they could really enjoy um, and have a good have a good alternative career if they do take that take that leap.
0: Rob McAdam, the great mentor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know about
0: that. You Brits are so self-deprecating. I was
1: going to you know. <laughs> stick with it. I, you know, I, was, I was close to kind of sticking with law and not, not taking that, that jump. I, I've, got, um, I've got three daughters young daughters and i, I think and I, when i when i moved into that innovation type role i only i, had, I only had my first daughter at the time yeah. but there's a lot on the line when you can look at it you know law is a fairly safe you know mm-hmm. profession it's you know it's pretty standard um you know it's it, it's easy to kind of stick with and, and just coast through um so it wasn't it, it wasn't easy to make the decision but i'm 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 so glad i did um i i really am glad that i did So i think um I really enjoyed what I do now, and I really enjoyed what I did before at, at the law firm in, in an innovation role. And it just keeps every day is interesting, yeah. and, um, and it just made me realize, you know, there are other opportunities for lawyers, and that's why I say it'd be great if more more people did take that take that take that leap and try different things.
0: Agreed, agreed. Yeah, we have. You know, I, I know my parents certainly said this to me, and it was like. Even if you don't like being a lawyer, you can use it in so many other ways. And, you know, at the time I thought it was, you know, bullshit, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're kind of, um, the proof is in the pudding, you know, and, and you, you, you really demonstrate that you can use it in other fields and to your advantage and you can combine it with your existing expertise. You don't exactly. have to totally pivot away from the legal field to do something interesting that uses your background.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. So you think about what lawyers bring. You know, they have an incredible work ethic. They work very hard. They are very analytical. They're very technical. They have an excellent attention to detail. Um, You know, they a lot of them are very commercial as well. You know, when you are working with cor- large corporate clients on, on contract negotiations, you have to be commercial. Absolutely. And that that you know you can bring all that expertise and knowledge to, to many different roles. That that is a value in, in in lots of different roles. You know, it's amazing, like how quickly. <laughs> You can spot typos, spelling mistakes. In your lawyer. <laughs> that's you, true. And you put it to the document; you just you just spot it straight away. Um, you know, not that that's the the, be, you know, the ultimate best skill to have. No, but no. You know, Highlight the point that you, lawyers bring a lot. Lawyers bring a lot to the table. Um, out, you know, beyond just a fee earning role.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Although I was going to say, yeah, we do become very good proofreaders. I remember, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll look at somebody's privacy blanket. There's an extra letter there that doesn't need to be there. I should email them. Them not now yeah. you know. <laughs> I got to restrain myself. You know. Yeah,
1: because that's the other thing. Lawyers can can appear very smug sometimes. As oh well, yes, apparently. oh yeah. yes.
0: <laughs> it's easy to go overboard, and then you have yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. you know. You know and, did they really have? Did they really have to say that? You know. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> especially, you know, I don't know about in the UK, but definitely New York lawyers are kind of seen by the rest of the country as you know, kind of arrogant and smug and, you know, why should we have to deal with a New York lawyer, you know?
1: Well, I don't know. I think that's probably, that reputation is probably well earned, I think. Um, <laughs> I think, we, I think we, but we, were, we were talking, you know, in, in the UK, yeah. it's slightly different. So you have barristers and solicitors um, and then then within that you specialize. And it always seems to me whenever I look across, you know, across the Atlantic at the lawyers over in the US, particularly in, in New York just, you know, multi-skilled, you know, they can tackle, you know, whether it's kind of commercial contract law or go to court and uh, carry out litigation, you know, they, they can do, do a lot of different things. And it's not necessarily the case in the UK. You specialize a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I do think that that's interesting and kind of an alien concept for us in the US because you can, I mean, it doesn't mean you should, but you can do all kinds of things. You can, you know, negotiate a contract. You can go into court and defend a client. But um and yeah we were we were chatting about this before. Uh, have you ever worn a wig?
1: <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I, I, and I, weirdly, you know, even though I was a a lawyer, and this probably is very alien to anyone you know who's practicing in the US, oh. I've never I've never been in a courtroom, wow. never stepped foot in a courtroom. Wow. Um, because you know the law that I did was all commercial. So mm-hmm. I mean, when I trained, I did we do seats. So when you're a trainee lawyer, you spend two years at a law firm on rotation and wow. i did seats in banking uh corporate planning um i did banking litigation but it was very much process it was very bulk process driven not really you know not really going in and attending court so oh. um never really got you know never really got the chance to to go so no i've not, never worn a wig or a gown <laughs> or uh,
0: as I'd like, like to see a picture of, of that. that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: well, how would you, would you need to get certified in some way in order to become, I guess it's a barrister, right?
1: Yeah, I think you can, I think you, solicitors can have, I think, I can't remember what the term is, it's something like, kind of, I can't remember, it's like dual rights of audience or something where yeah. I think you can be a solicitor and also um, attend, uh, and, uh, attend court. Oh. Um uh, but uh most mostly it's the, the dividing line is between solicitors and barristers and barristers are uh, or counsel as we're sometimes called are the, are the guys that will will actually put on the wigs and the, and the gowns mm. in, in in certain courts and go and represent their clients and it's the solicitors that are the instructors so they instruct the barristers so oh. the uh, solicitors will build the case uh-huh. um and then hand over the brief to the to the barristers or counsel who would then go and uh go to, go into bats for for the clients in, in courts that's the way it works
0: oh interesting oh so you in some cases you're working hand in hand yeah to bring yeah. A, a case to trial now that i didn't know that's very yeah, interesting yeah i mean you work
1: very closely you work very closely and so uh, lawyers will have their kind of go to barristers so depending on the type of c- claim or case mm-hmm. it'll be like i'll send this one to this this uh, this barrister or, or that barrister because they're, you know they're very good on this type of this type of law this type of
0: case interesting and so you so in some cases you'd have one person writing the briefs and researching the briefs and then the other person goes into court and argues the briefs
1: yeah i think so well, most, yeah i think i think so sort you of test, you've been testing my knowledge of
0: oh okay <laughs> i'll stop there with uh, those questions <laughs> I, think, I, I
1: think i think it'd be a, a, a mixture of both i think sometimes the uh, you know, the the, the listers might might draft uh-huh. some of the some of the court documents. In some cases, it might be the barrister that um, that drafts it, puts it together. But it's certainly a team effort. But oh. you know, it's just it's just done in a in a, in a separate way in the UK, which is obviously you know different to how it's done in the US. Which is why I say you know I have major respect for you know US lawyers, d- you know, juggling both aspects of it because I think that would be very hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different mindset. You know, I can say having. I was I was a civil prosecutor for a number of years and we didn't go into court a lot, but, you know, we definitely had, um, y- you know, our days in court. And then, you know, I went in-house about three or four years later and it was definitely a sea change, um, mm-hmm. you know, going from kind of, a, you know, not just advising, but at that point it was all advising and reviewing contracts and Looking at process, like you said, that's a lot of being in-house um, and almost no litigation. You know, I mean, I knew it, it was a good foundation because when I was working with other lawyers who would bring cases on our behalf, I could look at their briefs and say, you know, you know maybe you should revise it here or what have you. Or, you know, maybe, uh, you know, being on the company side, I can tell you a little bit more about what should go in here. Um, but it, it's definitely, you know, a, there's a big difference. In in the way you work.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So so tell me a little bit about what you do for HiQ now. I know you you referenced it at the beginning, but it would it would be helpful to hear what sort of projects you work on.
1: Yeah, So like I said, Haikyuu is a uh, kind of a, a collaboration and engagement platform. And that, mm-hmm. that might sound a little bit abstract, but I can give you some, <laughs> some, some examples. Good examples, please. <laughs> so, so we, our platform allows you to create workspaces. And then uh-huh. within those workspaces, you can bring teams together and, uh, and, and collaborate and deliver certain pieces of work. And we, we started out, um, Haikyuu started out kind of very much focused on uh, kind of secure file sharing, so extranets, Data rooms. It was all very much geared around uh, files and documents. Mm-hmm. And over time, what 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 we've done as a company is introduced lots more, lo- lots of features into our into our platform. We're a cloud-based platform, so we've intro- introduced lots of features. So things like um, task management, uh, event management, um, blogs, wikis, mm-hmm. databases, document automation. So it's quite a powerful um, set of tools. And I mm-hmm. I always like to refer to, to Haiku as almost. It's like digital Lego. It's it's a collection building. Yeah, it seems to resonate whenever you say digital Lego. But it's <laughs> it's a collection it's a collection of building blocks that you know you can put together to uh-huh. build different solutions. It's got all the kind of key things you'd want for any any, any particular process. Uh-huh. Um, but you can put it together to transform lots of different types of processes. So to give you an example, you know we might um, you know we might use high Q to help. Um, uh, an in-house corporate legal team engaged with their external counsel, mm-hmm. and that might that might be as simple as sharing documents. It might then expand into sharing financial information, or sharing knowledge and training. So it's just you know again our platform being used as a portal to, to transform the way uh, corporate teams engage with external counsel, or it might be uh, being used by uh, law firms themselves to transform the way they deliver work. So they might use it to um, run you know, real estate transactions or manage, uh, listings on stock exchanges, hmm. uh, for their clients or, you know, deliver, transform and deliver M&A transactions and carry out due diligence, uh, in, in a different way. Um, or just internal collaboration for the, for certain practice groups or teams and just tra- you know, making, uh, that a lot more transparent and, and creating a, what I would call a single source of truth. So, you know, collating all key information transparently in the, in the same, in the same place. So there's lots of, uh, you know, there's lots of ways, regulatory tracking. So we, a lot of our time we can, our, our platforms use to help with, um, you know, regulatory auditing and, uh, repapering exercises and things. So there is no kind of, I can't, I can't say these three key, key use cases, key, key solutions that are delivered through IQ actually it can have a huge impact. And that's essentially where I come in is, is I try and connect our clients and, and our, you know, potential clients with the mm-hmm. platform and say, you know, what are your pain points? What are you trying to solve? Um, in your in the way you work or the way you engage with, with clients or, or for corporate legal teams the way they engage with the business or mm-hmm. external counsel just saying what are your pain points and Then trying to figure out how how high can help and how the platform can be put together to help them address those So it is a massively varied role and it's very yeah. very interesting to see what um, Each each law firm and each corporate legal team the problems that they're facing And it's just nice to be able to be creative and and think about how we can help help our clients solve those those problems
0: yeah, and I'm sure your your legal experiences must help you. Literally, it must inform every conversation you have.
1: It, it with does. It, it's beneficial yeah.
0: in a number of ways. Like I said, you know,
1: I, I don't think you know this whole legal transformation piece is not. It's not exclusive to lawyers. It's not doesn't need doesn't necessarily require lawyers alone to drive. But I yeah. think the benefit of being a lawyer is um, you can you can connect you can connect with your clients a lot quicker. So you you can sympathize, you can share the pain that (laughs) they're going through in the processes or the client that the clients are going through. Um, So it helps from from making that connection. And also, uh, I think you touched on it earlier, lawyers, uh, you know, are very risk averse um, and resistant to change and very skeptical. And I think they respond a lot better if it's a if it's a lawyer delivering a message yes um, you, you know, speak their say, language I, yeah right. you speak the language you say, i've been there i understand what you're going through you know this has genuinely helped me and i think it can help you and i think you carry a little bit more um credibility in having these discussions but like i said it's not you know that it doesn't necessarily require that lawyer but i think it just requires a, a level of domain a domain knowledge and, and uh understanding of what 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 uh, lawyers are going through
0: uh, absolutely and so, you know, in your role, and it sounds like you're a liaison, but do you still do kind of the the process development and coding, or is that was that more at your your prior job?
1: So I still do. A, I still do a little bit. So mm-hmm. one of the one of the the tasks I have to kind of perform is we have to put, um, I suppose, kind of demo sites together mm-hmm. using using the HiQ platform, and, and then discuss those with with clients or potential clients. And as part of that, I might you know I might deploy some of my rudimentary coding uh, coding <laughs> skills to try and do something a little bit clever in in, in the fr- in, you know in platform um but but not as much as i not as much as i used to mm-hmm. um and actually inter- you know interest just on that you know, there, there, i do read yeah. a lot and there's lots of discussions around you know should lawyers be taught to code you know and some firms yeah. have, uh, and law schools have started initiatives to teach lawyers to code oh. i think my i think my take on it is uh-huh. if the lawyer if the lawyer wants to learn then then let them learn but it's not essential right. um i don't right. think it's a case of i don't think that's going to be a magic you know the the silver bullet um <laughs> no. it, like if we teach all lawyers to, to code then they're, they're future proof their careers and, and they'll transform the legal industry i actually think it's more if you're in if you i really say if you're genuinely interested in it yeah then learn if, right. if you're not then it's not not necessarily essential there's plenty of other people that can code that can can help drive mm-hmm. that that transformation and you know maybe it's just a case of deploying your your legal expertise in, in a legal knowledge engineering capacity rather than coding so right um yeah that's i mean that's my that's my view on the on, on the kind of coding debate yeah.
0: yeah i think i think to from my perspective i think the more important part of it is you know if you're going to work in that industry, having a foundation of knowledge enough to speak intelligently with people who are more technical um, yeah. and, and reading up on it and understanding. Because I think, you know, the biggest part of it is knowing which questions to ask. Yeah. You know, and I think if, if coding helps you do that, then I agree. I think it's great. And if you want to do that, but if you don't, then I think it's more about just educating yourself about the industry you're going to work in.
1: Yeah, because I, I just don't want you know lawyers going back to the point about making that change and making that leap. I don't want lawyers sitting you know, there thinking, "Oh, the only way I'm going to get into legal innovation or, or legal technology ah, is to learn Because that's the kind of that's the impression you kind of get when you, if you read the the press. I think ah. no, you know, if you're genuinely interested in your mm-hmm. technical and you you're you kind of want to be a little bit more, you want to move into a role that's a little bit more technical. Then then fine, like you say, you know, that yeah. would help either. Because you can code, or because Mm -hmm. you can speak the language and Mm -hmm. and kind of interact with developers who you know who are actually doing the coding, that might help. But definitely, you know, there are. um, It's not all about the code. It's not all about technology.
0: Right. And there's
1: lots of other aspects to change in in the legal industry that doesn't doesn't require a a technical knowledge or or technology. So um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's essential. But if you if you're keen on it, if you're interested, Uh then then go for it. Uh Then go.
0: Yeah. So I guess for those people who maybe aren't more technical, how would you suggest that um, they get into this industry? Or what are some good resources or associations for them to join?
1: So I would, um, I would say, um, so if they're a lawyer, and they want to get into this kind of mm-hmm. in, in this area, I think I would start off, I would start off internally. So I would start to you know ask around you know, if you're in a law firm uh-huh. ask around you know amongst the it team or kind of a um, you know business change uh, team or perhaps the knowledge management teams that 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 kind of seems to be where a lot of these roles sit start to ask around see what initiatives are up and running what types of roles are there start to you know talk, start to talk to the it team about what kind of technology is available that might be being underutilized and you know start to kind of look at processes internally um and start to think about how you, you think they might be improved for your team and your practice groups. And just start to carve out a little niche for yourself. You know, if those teams don't already exist, mm-hmm. then you know, start to create that, start to create those teams informally and then hope hopefully formalize them over, over time. Uh, and if the teams do exist, then try and align yourself with them. You know, try and get involved and say, you know, really engage and say, you know, what are you doing? How can I get involved? How can I help? You know, is there something I can take back to my team and implement it in my team and you know, start things start an initiative like like innovation hub start you know start forums to to, the, to debate change and mm-hmm. and technology and, and process improvement, and just try and make yourself a go-to person internally your firm I think is the is kind of step one for getting into this area, and then I think externally start to look at what kind of meetups are in your you know your city or your area. You know I know I've seen I saw something the other day around a you know a New York legal tech meetup. There oh. seems to be, you know, very well attended by you know, some good vendors and, and lawyers. And there are these groups. There's, there's certainly those groups in London. There are those groups in New York, I know, and, and, and in Europe as well. So see if you can kind of get, start getting yourself to those, those meetups and look at industry events as well. So there's a very good conference in the UK that's run annually called, um, it's called, uh, Le- uh Legal Geek, um, Legal conference. Geek. I like that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> That's a very good, um, that's a very good uh, conference to mm-hmm. uh, to go to uh, as well. And then there's there's others, you know, there's plenty of others um, uh, conferences uh, around on legal innovation um, and transformation. And, and I think it's just worth getting along to those and, and, and listening to the speakers, right. talking to the vendors um, and just, just really getting engaged in the community as well. Um, I think that's, that's the way to go.
0: Absolutely. And I think you mentioned, you just came back from, um, what was it? A clock conference. Is that what you call it?
1: Yeah. So it's, um, CLOC, so that's clocks and it's corporate legal, uh, operations consortium. Uh-huh. So this is a, this is fairly new, fairly okay. newish. Um, although I'm, pro- I'm probably told it's been around for, for ages and ages, but, um, it's, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's it's the legal operations, the corporate co- co- in-house corporate legal teams who have mm-hmm. the legal operations functions. It's a it's a group uh, community of you know people who work in in legal operations. And um, mm-hmm. Clock has uh, something they call the twelve core competencies of mm-hmm. legal operations. Um So that that includes things like financial management, uh, communication, uh, alternative support models. Uh, cross-functional alignment, all the key things you need to focus on in, in a co- in a legal operations role. Mm-hmm. And one of those core competencies is, is technology. And there is, uh, there is a big focus amongst legal operations professionals on the, the use of technology to optimize the in-house legal team. And yes, you they, they ran their annual conference in Las Vegas last week.
0: Very
1: nice. So I, so I was there. You know, it was good. It was at the Bellagio. It was good fun. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I like that. It's, it's, it's a good laugh. Although quite a distracting play. You know, if I was to run a conference, I wanted people to concentrate. I'm not sure I'd, I'd run it in Las Vegas, <laughs> a uh, It's kind of full, full of distractions, but uh, it was well uh, very well attended and, and, and yeah. very well run and some, some fantastic sessions and fantastic conversations we had out there. And again, it just it highlights that it's not just, you know, change within the law firms. It's actually changed throughout the legal industry, including, right. you know, how corporate legal teams operate and, and, you know, some great conversations with some fantastic large corporate companies around how they might be deploying technology to help to op- optimize their legal operations.
0: Mm. Well, it all sounds great. And Rob, I think you had some great suggestions for those who want to get involved in this industry. Before we go, I'm going to ask, because uh, I always say, you know, my favorite joke is um, that it should have been called entering the bar, not passing the bar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm wondering if you have any um, any stories related to... Drinking or being at a bar or a favorite bar that you like to go to and hang out. No pressure. Uh, just trying to think.
1: Uh, I'm a big, um, so I'm a big fan of of, of real ale. So we have concepts in the UK real ale.
0: What is real uh, ale?
1: Well, it's kind of like you know you get. In the US, you kind of get IPA, so
0: mm-hmm. pale ale,
1: and it's I guess it's along those lines. It's yeah. it's, it's beer, but in the uk it's notoriously you know uh, i think it's from anyone who, who comes into the uk mm-hmm. doesn't live in the uk sees it it's just kind of warm warm frothy beer yeah, yes so, uh, it's quite a quite you know it, there's a there's a big scene now craft beer and, and real ale it's very you know different flavors different colors oh. i'm really into that and i'm a i'm a proper i like my country pubs you know, in the <laughs> and uh, there's plenty of them where i where i live in the south of england little little pubs tucked away around uh, around corners in the countryside hidden Ooh. away little hidden gems and uh you know, one of the, you know the nicest thing you know, that i like to do weekends is, is try and uh try and get away uh sometimes you know get out of the house away from the three <laughs> and, <go laughs> and try and uh have a nice quiet quiet pint uh, of real ale in uh, in a nice quiet country pub uh, and, and they're also they also have got very strange names in the uk oh yeah so real ales they have things like uh Hobgoblin or um Bishop Bishop's finger.
0: Oh my. Uh, it's like the names yeah, like, of your desserts.
1: <laughs> yeah, like really, really odd names. So it's, it's all it's all good fun. So yeah, that's uh, they're the pubs and the bars I like going to.
0: Oh, I love it. Well I'll I'll have to get some recommendations from you if I ever go to the uh, to what, uh, Southern Southern England I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, so when you when you're here you come, come come over and I'll uh I'll take you to uh, a nice tucked away pub and you can Ooh, have a point of hobgoblin.
0: That, uh, all right, it's a deal. <laughs> Well, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap. You can always check us out at enteringthebar.com. As a reminder, all opinions on this show are made in our personal capacity and don't reflect the views of our employers. Many thanks to those who have provided use of their work through the Creative Commons licenses. This episode has featured No Peddler song Ruthini and Colmagea from their album Corn Smugglers and sounds from freesound.org with thanks to users Escort Marius, B.H. Weber, and Leander Statt and Tunis. You've been listening to Entering the Bar with Liz Lash.